Welcome along to the Mirror Football Podcast. And after last week when we had Stan Collymore in this chair, this week you've got me, Sam Matterface. I know, it's a little bit like replacing Nemanja Matic with Danny Drinkwater. Uh, protesting wildly until they require one of Antonio Conte's throat lozenges are Richard Innes, Adrian Kajumba and Mike Waters. This week, with a month to go before Jim White dusts down that yellow tie, we will ask what will actually happen between now and September the 1st. Which members of the management fraternity are dishing out the verbals to their chairman like Phil Jones after a drugs test and who are taking on the Darren Gibson stance? You know, hiding away in the corner and blaming everybody else. Um, we will also get into who does what and how a deal actually happens, who makes the wheels turn and how to force through a move if you really want out. It's all on the Mirror Football Podcast, which we hope will last a little bit longer than Ian Cathro. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for having me. Nice to see Very you well, all. Thank you. Um, so we've got one month to go before the window closes. Um, what's going to happen between now and deadline day? Start by telling me the three big things that will definitely happen, Mike. Oh, um, nice easy one to start with. Uh, <laughs> Gilfie Sigurdsson to Everton for a fee of up to £50 million. Um, I would wager Virgil van Dijk will go to Liverpool in the end, despite Liverpool backing out because they've been fingered for tapping up earlier in the summer. And the third thing I expect to happen between now and September the 1st is that John Terry will go bare-chested to applause <laughs> Aston Villa fans after their first away win of the season, possibly at Hull this weekend. Um, Adrian, he's pretty much taken all of the ones that are definitely going to happen. Yeah. So the, the tappings have gone. What are you going to go for? I'm going to chuck one in here. Um, the Daniel Levy and Spurs to get busy very, very late. That seems to be the kind of word on the ground that Daniel Levy's quite happy to wait and assess what everyone else is doing both in and out. He's never usually done that before, has he? No, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, this, this year you might have thought that he may have clicked into gear a little bit sooner with, with what everyone else is doing but no nothing's changing um, and I think some of the outgoings might be quite interesting at Spurs as well with, with Daniel Levy ready, ready to wait and hold on right till the end until everyone starts panicking and you know then all of a sudden becomes willing to pay the big fees he's after they can't afford to lose anyone can they they've only got 21 players going into the cha- first Champions League game no there's some deadwood there um, players that they'd be willing to offload Kevin Vimmer Sissoko um, Kudu possibly and you know obviously already let a couple go so there, there is some room for manoeuvre with that squad Richard I'm going to go for the very 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 big one of Neymar um, increasingly I think everybody assumed this was kind of pie in the sky this £197 million move uh, to PSG but it does increasingly look like this you know this could actually be on the cards which would be a pretty astonishing turn of events and I, I think coming out of that I think Liverpool fans panic will just kind of go through the roof because um, the they'd be worried about Coutinho well, exactly yeah I think uh, you know that seems to be a fairly obvious like for like for Barcelona um, so that could happen and I think my third one will certainly be the kind of forensic examination of Lukaku versus Morata versus Lacazette on day one uh, I think if you're if you if you spend any time on Twitter, I think uh, match day one of the Premier League season will be oh he's miscontrolled it oh he's he, he played a poor pass and you know the waste of money and the various other overreactions we tend to get. Uh, Lukaku hasn't looked like a waste of money in pre-season, has he? I mean no, he came off the all. bench against Valerenga with his first touch, scored a goal, and he's he, I mean the goal he scored against Man City was sensational, wasn't mm. it? Yeah, you see the ground running Lukaku, which um, I think when you any striker when you go for that big fee, you kind of need to do um, Morata. You know, he's only had a couple of games, and I think it's a couple of halves really he's had for Chelsea, and people are already starting to to wonder and question him. So that's what you need to do. I'm sorry, I'm going to play the Grinch here. Pre-season friendlies mean nothing. Uh, even the first day of the season, you often get freakish results. 
Um, I remember Bolton winning was it five 0 away at QPR on the opening yeah. day of the season. I think that I think Bolton went down that year. They did. Yeah. It means nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the real stuff kicks in once you get into September. Once you've had four or five games and the pattern begins to emerge about who's going to struggle and who's not. Lest we forget, Hull City won both their opening two games in the Premier League last season. It took them another. I think 23 games, wasn't it, until they won another one? So let's not get carried away. Pre-season friendlies mean. They're pretty to look at, and it's nice to see your new signings and what Lukaku looks like in a red shirt and all that, but they mean nothing. I'll tell you what, what I would say on that is that if these strikers, Lacazette, Lukaku, hadn't been scoring those goals, the way the way fans are now, you talked about social Absolutely. media already, yeah. Yeah. you know, there's nothing wrong with, with scoring as they are in pre-season. Well, Absolutely not. That doesn't do, do anybody any harm, yeah. but what I'm saying is it doesn't actually prove anything. Yeah. What does do you harm, though, is if you do have a bad pre-season and you haven't got the numbers in that you necessarily want mm-hmm. and you aren't prepared for when the season starts. And, you know, I mean... T- Richard, what's going on with Chelsea? They've got a weaker squad going into this year than they have yeah. when they won the league last season. Nine of the 18 that went to Borough on the Monday night before they won the league at West Bromwich Albion are now unavailable to Conte mm. going into the first game of the season. What's happened? It, it does seem slightly unusual. And I, I think we've noticed Conte is, is already kind of moving, trying to sort of apportion blame towards the club, I think, rather than to himself. It's almost as if he can see the writing on the wall. He's been quite open, surprisingly open, I think, about the fact that you know he, his resources are looking a little thin. Um, so it'll be interesting, interesting to see if any more business is done. Um, obviously, Chelsea are linked with plenty of players all the time, but you know how, how many of these are actually going to you know, transform into real deals? We, we shall see. Drink water or Renato Sanchez? I mean, who would you go afterwards that's, if you were Antonio Conte? I, I was a bit sort of cheeky about <laughs> <laughs> poor old Denny Drinkwater at yeah. the top, but you know, he played very well with Angolo Conte in the season that Leicester won the league. But there's a Chelsea fans scratching their heads this morning, going, we've sold Nathaniel Chalabar and Nemanja Matic, and we're recruiting Danny Drinkwater for 20 million quid. I, I don't really understand mm. it. Can you and explain Loftus, it? No. And Loftus-Cheek, and, and, and Nathan Ake can play as a defensive holding midfielder as well. You're dead right. It, it doesn't make sense to sell all those players without anybody coming in. And, and you have the problem which Spurs have had with Carl Walker when they sell him for 50 million, and then all of a sudden that affects what people are asking um, for the players you want to buy, they wanted Ricardo Pereira at Porto, but Porto knew what Spurs had got for Carl Walker, so they said, "All right, well, we want 50 million for Pereira," and that's a problem. Chelsea have got; they've kind of done things the wrong way around. You know, I'm sure they would have known Matic was going to leave before they let Chalabar. Well, they didn't even take go. him on tour, did they? They exactly. exiled him and Costa. Exactly. So it, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's, it's a baffling situation. Really. It, could, it could unravel quite quickly, I think. I mean, in the sense that you know, when you look at, it's very unusual that, well, not unusual necessarily, but it's quite telling that Conte has been quite open in his, you know. Airing his uh, his um, his displeasure, shall we say? Don't forget, don't forget that know. last season Chelsea would have no European football to worry about. They con- they could concentrate mm. on the Premier League and the Premier League alone, and it served them well. They for thirty eight games; they were terrific. Mm. But they're going to have to balance their demands between domestic affairs, shall we say, this year and the Champions League, and that. You need numbers and you need bodies. Yeah. You need a, a full squad to do that. And, and last season, I Chelsea... can't understand why they haven't been busier than they have been. Absolutely. And then last season, Chelsea were fortunate with injuries. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that. You know, everyone talks about the the, the number of games. Um, but... Best medical department in the world, apparently. That's well, apparently why. So. <laughs> Conte is playing it very well because as as the season unfolds, you know, no, nobody's going to be pointing the finger at him. It's quite clear. You know, he's wanted players and he's wanted business to get done. And and if things don't go to plan, it's very much going to look like. It's, it's the club's fault for not giving him what he wanted. Yeah, they've lost big characters in the dressing room as well. Begovic did a lot in the dressing room. Terry, Mikel, Ivanovic, Papi Gilabodji, um, <laughs> Aki Shalabar, Loftus-Cheek, 
Aina have all been farmed out. The squad looks really thin, and I think that was apparent on Saturday when they played into Milan, when it just did just underneath that first eleven, which is still very good. There just isn't very much, is there? And Conte's already saying they're tired. And, and, if, <laughs> and if they're tired after pre-season we, and they're getting rid of players it's hard work though pre-season all that travelling you I have to do those business award, class seats yeah. I always used to award Harry Redknapp the uh, bare, but down to the bare bones award because he was always used, always used to be one of the first ones to complain about his players being yeah. tired quite often before the end of August I think but uh, that's a that's a new world record for, yeah, for, for a Premier League <laughs> for, for a Premier League squad, yeah. squad to be tired before a ball has even been kicked yeah. and that's taking into account the fact I think Conte's been working on quite hard with double sessions and so on isn't he which is you take into account but even so you're not tired after playing three pre-season all those tennis or. players that play uh, five set matches and yeah. six matches <laughs> over the course of a and week and have to play again the following day <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They'll, be, they'll, they'll teach them a thing or two about fitness the question just on Chelsea as well we're, talk, we're sitting here talking about how you know how the squad is starting to look thin they've got 24 players out on loan you've got 24? more short term loans than Amigo haven't they I mean, they? I mean it's ridiculous <laughs> But if you know when you're talking about not having enough bodies in the squad, why are 24 players out on loan? Because uh, granted, a lot of those are, are youngsters who wouldn't be ready for first team action. Yeah, but plenty of them are. Well, you know, we've mentioned some of those names. Yeah. Yeah. England's success in age groups this summer suggests that some of the young English players are ready yeah. for first team yeah. action, especially yeah. where Chelsea provided so many of them as well. Correct. Mm. Um, Spurs haven't uh, managed to sign a player yet for any money, uh, despite the fact that they've received more money than the GDP of Tuvalu. Uh, for Carl Walker alone, mm-hmm. so, so who's benefiting from that? I mean, I don't understand. Is it sort of some sort of approach where they think, "Well, we can still compete without spending any money," or are they, as you suggest, just sort of waiting until everyone's really desperate for money or desperate for players, and then start their trading right at the last minute? They, that, that's certainly affecting the outgoings, and in terms of the the incomings, what the, the big problem Spurs have got is that their first eleven is so good. So when they'll be going around talking to players, a lot of the players in the positions they need will know that they're coming in to sit on the bench. Mm. Um, which which causes a problem. And you look at, for example, another another situation, another problem for Spurs is their wage structure. I was going to say, is that one of the big problems that, as well? That will be a big problem. You probably earn more if playing you, at Watford if, than you would do at Spurs sitting on the bench. And if you look at the, the players that they've gone for and been linked with in the course of the summer, so for example, Thomas Lamar, they go for him, but all of a sudden Arsenal will come in for him and can straight away pay more money for him. So all of a sudden, it's just not going to happen. Um, so the, the wage structure it is a big problem also for Spurs. Don't underestimate the burden of cost of building a new stadium as well don't forget it hampered Arsenal for probably the best part of 10 years after they built the Emirates and although Spurs Bob the Builder and his mates with the cement mixers are doing a grand job apparently the stadium's you know, cracking on at a pace it looks like it's going to be ready on time this time next year but don't underestimate the, the financial burden that will weigh down Spurs ability to go out and spend big money on new players and that's probably affecting to some extent their transfer policy now. And I wonder whether or not we should factor that into what Chelsea are doing as well and not only just the money situation but does it distract you when you've got another huge project going on your your top executives are looking at not taking their eye off the ball but they're they're looking at other things I mean their day's split in two half of it's to do with the development of the ground the other thing is trying to keep the football team ticking over I think Roman Abramovich is busy taking out a second mortgage at the moment isn't he so he's, <laughs> I've heard he's a bit he's all down to his last he's down to the bare bones he's down to the bare bones he's got last 20 billion isn't it? So, uh, <laughs> there's obviously already, you know on that note there's already been, been a story recently about how Chelsea are going to fund the stadium but, you know, previously the plan was Abramovich was going to do it. Now they're looking for, for loans and support, and yeah. it'll be sponsorship, naming rights, and things like that. So, you know, it's a sign that he's spreading his resources, maybe. And one of those big markets has been closed to them, hasn't it, after the last uh, 
two weeks on tour. Um, <laughs> uh, Tottenham, West Brom, Burnley, uh, Brighton, Palace, Swansea, Southampton and Stoke have spent less than £60 million between them. Uh, the top five spenders um, in the transfer market in the Premier League this season have spent ten times that. So £600 million between five clubs. Um, are you a little bit concerned about the, the massive gap between the likes of West Brom, Burnley, Brighton, Palace, Swansea, Southampton. Swansea only just survived in the Premier League last season. I think they brought in two players. I'm not. So, I'm not concerned about the gap. I'm just more concerned about the obscene figures which are being thrown around in this summer's transfer market. You can build a hospital and staff it with doctors and nurses for the sums that some. You know, Manchester City have spent two hundred million pounds already, haven't they? And on most of it on fullbacks, by the looks of it. But you can't argue about the fact that people are spending money. If someone's going to pay that money for a player, that's just the way the market is, isn't it? No, that, that is just the way the market is. I was being slightly. For there, but I, there's the lie on the graph in terms of transfer market expenditure, sort of year on year. It's now going almost vertically, whereas it was a, a steep, sorry, a steep gradient. The line is almost going, you know, through the roof, and it's uh, at some point we're going to find that it's unsustainable. At some point, we are going to find that Sky Sports and, and, and BT Sport are not going to chuck a billion pounds a season at the Premier League. You have to wonder when that's going to come, though. Because I mean, we do seem to have been having this same conversation for the best part of a decade, if not more. Well, they had the situation where it started off and it was going up sort of quite slow increments and Sky yeah. were pretty much the dominant part yeah. Yeah. partner. There was a period in the mid-2000s where it did stagnate. It mm. did stop. Yep. There were two deals that were exactly the same mm -hmm. and it did plateau. I think it'll get to a point where that happens again at some point but it would always keep kicking on and kicking on the more the interest grows I mean the money that they get in from the international rights now is bigger than for the domestic rights and that just shows you where the game is going and it's why we have the situation we have at the moment where everyone's knackered because they've been on pre-season tours I mean, and the other thing as well you, just to go back to the gap you're talking about <coughs> they're, they're, for the probably the first time in a few seasons last year you looked at the top seven and you thought that's probably about what it should have been mm. And those clubs are the ones who have all gone and spent the money, so the gap's only going to get bigger. They were wound up by Leicester yeah. City, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. of course, yeah. Pug the bear. The foxes pug the bear, essentially, that's what happened. Then, I quite uh, enjoyed yeah. the, the Twitter comedian who pointed out that in, in terms of defence budgets in, in the year 2017, <laughs> uh, the USA spent 708 billion, the, US, uh, the Russia spent 700 billion, and Manchester City spent 200 million. And it's still not good enough. And it's still not good enough. Still need a couple of Some fans racks. still complain about lack of ambition, but that's all. There is actually a, there's a team you can put together in 11 of players who have been bought by Premier League clubs this season, and it costs more than 500 million pounds. You know, like a good 11 yeah. of players. And I should we're, talking so about, yeah, we're talking about in the last month. And that's five hundred million pounds on a very balanced, very good side. I mean, it's um, a five hundred million pound Premier League eleven. Is uh, the fact that we've got to that point is fairly, um, fairly baffling, really. And what do you make of uh, the uh, Manchester City situation? Because you just mentioned they need a couple of centre backs. It was all about the wing backs, all about full backs up until now. But now, looking at the squad, people were saying, "Oh, they probably need one or two there." Yeah, I think defensive midfield still not quite right. They've got loads of them. They have got loads of them, <laughs> but how many of them would you say? are guaranteed to make that impact every week hold down that position and impact that team Toure Fernandinho Dodgy Fernandinho Fernando Nasri Alex Garcia and De Bruyne they tell me plays deeper now any of them, De any of them can't play De Bruyne I tried to put him in as a, an attacking midfielder and they say no no he plays deeper than that any, the, any of them screaming <laughs> out are you uh, I don't uh, believe it <laughs> are any of those defensive midfielders screaming out are you saying long term that's the answer I think yeah. Gundogan when he's fit when he's fit um, straight, he came He came to England with a dodgy fitness record and was injured yeah. straight away pretty much he's not, not, he's not someone you can Delph rely on I'd be amazed if Delph is there come September the 1st so who are they going to are they going to buy someone in that role 
the can't play. I mean, he, he's, a big, he's, a, he's a big. He's a big. Guardiola is a big fan of Fernandinho and his and his versatility. Yeah. So I'm, I think maybe if the rest of the squad and team is fine, you can work with Fernandinho there. Are you, are you not convinced that actually what he'll do is he'll just pick someone who he likes and then turn them into a decision? Maybe Danilo. Maybe, maybe yeah. if Danilo will end up playing <laughs> defensive midfield. He did hint, didn't he? That yeah. Danilo could play in several different positions. Yeah. So um, <laughs> you know, maybe here we go again. I mean, he played yeah. Fernandinho at right back for a yeah. large part of last season, yeah. which you know I don't think anybody in their right mind left would back have as well. One stage Fernandinho was a fullback. Hazu Navas played at right fullback for the last four months of the season, mm, didn't they? Don't get me started on that. So centre back, they got a lot of options. <laughs> the only issue they've got is their best centre back. Again, fitness wise, you can't rely on him, Vincent Company. Um, so again, they may want another reliable body in that position. Big season for John Stones. Big season for John Stones. Um, in an ideal world, you would think that Pep's optimum back four would have Company and Stones as the two central defenders. Mm. Um, I think when you go for a vast amount of money as a young player as Stones did, I think you I think we should cut him a bit of slack and allow him a certain amount of settling in a settling in period. I think this year he does need to kick on. There is a World Cup around the corner and he really ought to be part of that England squad that goes to Russia, assuming England qualifies, I'm sure they will. Um, I think this season we will see the best of Stones. I think we will see the best of Man City. I think 19 times out of 20 you'll struggle to get the ball off them for half an hour at a time uh, I'd be I'd personally make Man City my pre-season favourites for the title I yeah. think they'll be I think they will be the team to beat this season they because, should be with the squad and, they, and, and Pep would be the first to admit that they, they underachieved last season for the you know for the rah-rah which accompanied his arrival and for the you know for the style of football they play and for the possession that, um, that, 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 that he espouses I think this season they have to be not only the team to beat, but the team to get the ball off. Uh, and I think this season, in both cases, that will happen. I think the most telling thing is that, I think it's just today, I think uh, Ryan Giggs was talking to Sky Sports, and he's made Man City his title favourites. He said, I think his exact words were something like, they're the team to beat. Is that mind if, games from the Well, Fergie possibly. <laughs> but if Ryan Giggs is, uh, is backing Man City, then you know they must be, uh, they must be looking pretty strong. Well, Jose's reconstructing the land of the Giants, isn't he? I mean, they're all over six foot tall. Poor old yeah. one matter when he gets into that team photo. <laughs> he's going to look a little bit out of place. We've yeah. just done a bit of research, actually, which you can read about on Mirror Football. Um, that might or might not have been the inspiration <laughs> for this question <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um, the, uh, the Man United as it stands they now have the second tallest uh, who's the tallest West Brom he ruined it straight away straight when Tony Pulis can play four centre backs across the back he'd play eight centre backs he could wouldn't he Tony Pulis talk about Tony Pulis for me because apparently I understand he's a little bit frustrated he signed one player this season and he's seen Darren Fletcher go on a free transfer you know he wants some more numbers in they need to kick on a bit they had the oldest squad I think in the league last season um, are they going to? Are they going to? Are they going to sign anybody else? They, That's deja vu. I think Tony Pulis had similar frustrations, around, you know, this time last year as well. And I've, one one issue I've heard. Um, during the course of the summer, about that's maybe putting players off going there is a style of football. Um, you know, it's not the way Pulis and, and West Brom play is. It's not really making players want to, to go and join them. Uh, they scored one of the, the greatest goals of, of the season last year when um, was it Solomon Rondon scored with his with his first touches. The ball went straight over and it volleyed it into the corner. I mean, they can play good football every now and again. I saw West Brom a few times last season. I thought they were actually played more football. Um, in inverted commas than previous Pulis teams I've seen they, they weren't just sort of suck up the pressure and hit you on the break I thought they actually did try and, and play a bit at times 
um, I would agree with with Adrian that it, the trouble is when he it, Pulis comes with a reputation and his reputation is whether he likes it or not is based on the fact that he's never been relegated has he he's, he's very proud of that record and rightly so because West he's, Brom would, I'm sure that's for great for them isn't it I mean well, that's all they want to achieve and I think that I think West Brom fans want to achieve a bit more than just avoiding relegation the club was, doesn't does it uh, not exactly but I think um, uh, when you're when you support a club like West Brom or Stoke you have to be sort of careful not to sort of develop what I call an overbearing sense of entitlement. Clubs like West Brom and Stoke in the last 25 years have had no divine right to be in the, in the Premier League. The Premier League is 25 years old and I suspect that those two clubs have probably been out it at least as much as they've been in it. Uh, so they've got no divine right to be there. So I think you have to cut your cloth in the transfer market when you're at a club like West Brom and Stoke. I think you have to be prepared to accept that first base is 40 points, and anything beyond that is a, is a nice bonus. I think West Brom's problem last season, they got to 40 points very quickly, didn't they? I think they had yeah. 40 points in February. They overachieved, and, they, and then they? tailed away, yeah. tailed off quite badly. Um, and they weren't the only club that happened to as well. Yeah, I mean, and Stokes is a brilliantly run club. I mean, yeah. they do have a little bit of uh, ambition as well, don't they? I mean, they've tried sure. to try and change the way they play their mm-hmm. football. And, you know, they've improved the stadium, I think, over the course of the... Uh, the close season as well. It, it is interesting how you know a manager's kind of reputation and identity does actually start to colour people's views of, yes. of that style of play. So we were talking about Tony Pulis. Pep Guardiola, I think, uh, the other day was talking about Edison and how happy he is with Edison because of the size of his goal kicks. And he went into some detail about how tactically... Pep this goes was route be, one. Yes, exactly. Uh, he went into some it. detail. Well, that was an interesting press. How this was, such a, this was going to be so useful and part of his attacking master plan, yeah. essentially getting his goalkeeper to hoof it as far as possible up the pitch. I thought he didn't like Tony that. Tony Pulis had said that. I mean, you know... the. You, that, that, that gets reported yeah, yeah. And, and viewed in an entirely different way, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it's, it's route one or it's just direct, or it's isn't genius. it? Or, or, <laughs> or it's a long pass. It's yeah, different, exactly. yeah. It's different yeah. between going route one or a long pass. Yeah. Um, elsewhere, Watford are close to finalising a move for uh, Fluminese winger Richarlison. Is that right? Richarlison, yeah. Richarlison. Uh, what do we know about him? Well, he's 20 years old. He's a uh, Brazil under 20 international. He's quick. Uh, and Ajax thought they were in the box seat to get him. Mm. Who would have thought five years ago, when Watford were run by a Watford that were owned by a, uh, a chap called Lawrence Bassini, who uh, uh, I, I shouldn't really say this, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> probably, will probably be next to at Billy Smart Circus somewhere. But um, it is uh, who would have thought that Watford would be able to outbid Ajax? For a Brazilian winger costing eleven million pounds, uh, it's, it's extraordinary sort of. That's the success of the Premier League, Mike. That's the, that's the Premier League for. It's also the fact that the Watford are now owned by Gino Pozzo, who has developed a formidable record with Udinese in Italy and Granada in Spain for a few years before he sold his share in it for taking clubs into the top flight and keeping them there. Mm. Um, he's done a terrific job. At Watford so far, Watford by far the best of his achievements. By the way, it's nothing to do with what's on the pitch. On the off the pitch, for the first time in my lifetime, Watford now have a four-sided ground rather than three stands and a corrugated graveyard. And so, it's a nice ground as well it's, now. And it's yeah, it's, it's got got a bit of atmosphere. One of the complaints at Vicarage Road used to be it didn't have much atmosphere. It's, a, it's a, you can have a good sing-song there now, and, and it'll echo, it'll reverberate around the ground. Going back to West Brom and Stoke. I'll point out that those two grounds are also also have two of the best atmospheres in the yeah. Premier League. I enjoy going there because you always need your earplugs. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, let's talk about Sigurdsson quickly and, and the, the chances of him leaving Swansea City. Obviously, he, he, they, they think he's worth 50 million quid. 
uh, Everton might or might not be willing to pay for it. Uh, but uh, Swansea themselves, if they lose him, um, they're they're a lot weaker than they were last year. And the idea of replacing him this late in the window is that, is, that, is that a possibility? Have they got the people they want queued up, and they're just waiting for the check to arrive from Goodison Park? I think with with Swansea, what what they've done well is is to hold out. You know, stand their ground, mm. uh, and that's given them time to to investigate, to to see what their options are going to be to replace him. I'm sure they've seen this one coming. You know, they were obviously very close to going down last year, so they know that he's either going to go in those circumstances, or he's not possibly going to want to stick around for another season after last year's close shave. Um, so if they if they get their money, which you imagine they will do, if you look at him, you know, he's missed one of their preseason tours, and I think you know. You see, with his involvement or lack of involvement in pre-season, that they're literally just waiting for this fee to be agreed, and and I suspect they've had enough time to find a replacement. Do you, do you think, though, Adrian, that they? I mean, I, I personally, I love Sigurdsson. I yeah. think he's a fantastic player uh, and could play, you know, really, really top level. Do you really think they could have all the time in the world? Are they going to be able to persuade someone of of his ability or his kind of comparable ability to come to Swansea? Regardless of how much money they've got, or regardless of how long they've got to find that person. No, I mean when you look at what he did for them last year in terms of goals and assists, to get somebody to to, to come in who mm. can pr- provide that and not be wanted by a bigger club yeah. is going to be difficult. Or all you can say is they've done well to get the money and they've got money to chuck at somebody. I mean, the football world's massive. That, I mean, that, that's be the reality scary. of it, though. If you're Swansea City, you know that whoever you buy, if they're a reasonable success, somebody else is going to want them. At some point, as they down found the with line. Wilfried Bonny a couple of years ago, and uh, the thing that surprises even me with Meet You for a bit, yes, mm-hmm. absolutely for, for a season, exactly. Uh, the thing that surprises me about Swansea is they all have seen it coming a long way off that the big fish are going to come come after Sigurdsson. Mm. What surprises me is they've let Jack Cork go to Burnley. Yeah. So it means yeah. that mm. if you take Sigurdsson out and Cork out of that midfield, it means there's quite a lot of reconstructive surgery to be done in a you know in a key sort of area of the pitch more games and for the aging but diminutively on Britain again. well I would say this this the, this, the, the guy I got from I think his last Palmas Mesa is, yeah. is apparently just from reading the, the guys who follow Spanish football a lot more closer than myself he seems like a natural replacement <coughs> for Cork mm. um, bit of a, it's going to need to be because Cork mm. Cork did a lot of unseen he'd be called a water carrier I suppose in a, in a bygone era wouldn't he but uh, Cork wore the armband and this, 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 this Mesa is, it seems like that sort of character as well so they might have already replaced him under the radar yeah. um, let's move to the continent what's happening with Neymar is he really telling everyone outside Barcelona he wants to leave please get me out of here but then saying to his teammates nah don't worry I'm, I'm sticking around it's all paper talk it's nothing I think just because of the money involved in this I, this is one deal I just won't believe until I actually see it um, <laughs> yeah. it, it does seem I had a chat with somebody earlier on, on my way in that it has, is actually going to happen but until you see it it's just a frightening amount of money um, going from Barcelona to PSG I'm, you know, it's obviously a step down um, I don't well, is it a step down? Because it, it, this this is a guy who, in Brazil, is the football poster boy. Has been for the last seven or eight years since he was graduating into that first team. In the 2014 World Cup, it was all about Neymar, 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 Neymar. It was all about it, Neymar, Neymar, Neymar at the Olympics yeah, last year as yeah. well, by the way. And he goes, and he goes and to World Barcelona. Cup, World Cup, that's why they lost, because yeah. they were so fixated on Neymar being And then when he got injured, then yeah. Up, yeah, getting distracted and getting mm. thrashed 7-1. He goes to Barcelona, all of a sudden, it isn't all about Neymar, Neymar, Neymar. I, I, if he goes to PSG, it will be. I get the platform that he's going to get, but I'm, I'm sorry, I can't have somebody leaving Barcelona to to go to to PSG. I just, I just can't. No, no I just don't buy into it. It, it, so it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. We're not used to, in the last half a century or, or near enough to 
the concept of leaving Barcelona or Real Madrid to improve yourself. Right? No. You might get more money, but do you leave those clubs to improve as a player? Wow, is this Don Revy leaving England and going to the UAE to get a little bit of extra cash? <laughs> that's one for our younger listeners. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I can remember this 40 years ago, yeah. almost to the day, by yeah. the way. I was having this conversation with, with friends this morning. So the, the, the big challenge for Neymar, if he goes to Paris Saint-Germain, is the Champions League mm. to, to lift them, to take them to that trophy. So that, so what's that? Six six group games and but you're not even talking about. I mean, the group games are the group games. You know, you sort of rattle through those if you're PSG, particularly next year if you've got yeah. Neymar. You're talking about literally a handful exactly. of games yeah. defining yeah. your your success or your failure because you will win the league easily. Mm-hmm. You will win the double. You will well, win the. They didn't win the league cup. last year. No, exactly. Yeah. No, granted. No, but Monaco okay, have been decimated. So and, you'd, and you'd expect, we expect that, you know yes. the player if they are bringing in someone of Neymar's stature. You know, he, I mean, he will walk through that league. If you if you you know what's the equivalent for him of playing in El Clasico? If you play in El Classico, you know, for, for football fans PSG around the against world, Marseille is a big game. It's, it's a big, it's, 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 big game, but it has, it has not the, that big. <laughs> it has the enmity of a local derby yeah. with, with a it small problem there 500 same, yeah. miles apart. But and, it's and, the same and, rivalry, but in terms of levels, in terms of players yeah. you're up against. The TV audience will be slightly different, you would yeah. think. And if, if he's leaving because, you know, this this desire to win the Ballon d'Or, what is he going to have to achieve at Paris Saint-Germain to outstrip what Messi and Ronaldo are doing? It would all be on the basis of he's going to have to win. He, yeah. He's going to have to win the Grand National and the boat race as well, isn't he? I mean, because <laughs> win the Ballon d'Or with them, isn't he? But, with the, but the Ballon d'Or, in fair, I mean, I suppose if you're Neymar, the Ballon d'Or a lot, of, a lot of the time does come down to international football achievements. Mm. You know, you look at Cannavaro, these these types of things. You can win the Ballon d'Or, or at least be in the running for the Ballon d'Or on the basis of what you do with your national team. So he, no doubt his thinking is right. I win the World Cup for Brazil next year. I win the Ballon d'Or. But this is a story that that, that came out. I think from Neymar's camp, didn't it? I mean, the, the idea that the PSG were interested in signing him and releasing him from his contract. Um, d- d- is there ever a scenario where where players or players' representatives come to journalists and say, look, I need to get out of here? Or how do they, how, they do it in a different way? Do they ring you up and say more than they usually would? Do you have more contact with someone than maybe you've had previously? And do you get, start to get a gist? Actually, they want me to get this story out. They want me to get the, the ball rolling here. I think it, it, it all depends on the relationship you have with the individual representative. Some um, will be honest with you and say, I'm trying to do this. This is my end goal. Can you help me do it? And, it, and in those circumstances, you, you have to... To, to speak to them and tell them what's realistic you can't be linking a League 2 player with Real Madrid for example do you see I mean you have to not if you want to be taken seriously exactly no. and that's the point you have to some some representatives and, and people around footballers do have crazy ideas of, of what makes sense and what is going to help them achieve what they want and sometimes it's not possible and you just have to tell them but it, it really does depend on the relationship with a person how much you trust them and you know you talk there about if it's somebody who you've not heard of heard from for a long time Mm. Uh, me personally, automatically, I, sus- I, I suspect what their motives are. <laughs> I always find sometimes that when, when, when a player really wants to get out of somewhere, they become a lot more communicative. Uh, and whereas before they might not text you back for two or three days, now all of a sudden they're picking the phone up. All right, mate, how are you? Oh, you'll never guess what happened at training today. <laughs> and when things, I smashed and when, Nelson Semedo. <laughs> and when things get close. Yeah, and, and it's very close to being done, stroke done. You won't hear from them again. No, 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 no. won't <laughs> respond again. Yeah, but it does work like that. I mean, they do. They do try to use the media as much as you might be trying to dig around, trying to find out what's going on. Yeah, and they also become more proactive in their own little world. Uh, Robbie Savage, Daily Mirror columnist, uh, happily recounts the story of how he was trying to engineer his move from Birmingham to Blackburn. He has all the dream move that we all that we all dream of. He actually went and parked in. 
Birmingham owner David Gold's drive to try and sort of not to block him in, not to stop him, David Gold, going out and doing the shopping, but just to sort of picket him personally to try and force a move through it. Just to get a bit of attention. Yeah. Well, that almost, doesn't almost. sound like Sav. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, Sav got the move. It, it happened in the end. Yeah. And players do get their way, don't they? Let's be honest about it. At the end of the day, if a player wants to go somewhere or do something, all they have to do is put a picture on Instagram saying they're sick and eventually and Sam, it's going to happen. Sam, what's the point in keeping an unhappy player yeah. who's yeah. not going to pull his weight? I spoke to as. Um, I was at a club yesterday and I spoke to one of the guys uh, who works there. He's on quite high up in the hierarchy. Uh, used to be a, a Premier League footballer himself and we were talking about the situation at Southampton with Virgil van Dijk and he was just saying players just know, they know nowadays yeah. if they want to get out, they know what to do. And there can be all, all the posturing that there is from the clubs but they ultimately know what they have to do to get out. And, and, it sounds, and he will go, won't yeah, he? And if you're, if you're a romantic, it's quite, it's quite sad to hear in but, some but ways. But why do you need to be a, a romantic? I mean, no, I'm saying, if, I'm saying if you are a romantic, you yeah, might but, not like to hear that. But, but, but. for example, Virgil van Dijk is a very good footballer. He plays for Southampton. With all due respect, they haven't won a, a, a trophy since 1976. He wants to go to one of the biggest clubs in the world. Can you really sort of feel a little bit... You know, can you be upset that he wants to do that? Virgil van Dijk signed a six-year contract last year, so yes, I can. If he commits to a six-year contract within 12 months, is deciding he wants to kick up a fuss. I can understand why people aren't. That doesn't seem It's a two-way street, though, Adrian, because clubs dish out these five- and six-year contracts almost as an insurance buffer to make sure they can get a huge price for the player Mm. if others come in for him quite early in the the five- or six-year term. So Southampton know now if, if, if it's Liverpool or Man United or anybody else comes in for Van Dijk, they're going to get... 40, 50, 60 million quid for him simply because that's probably lion's share of what he's going to earn during, uh, during the duration of his contract. And despite the nickname, let's not make out that Southampton are Saints. Um, Claude Puel, I think he had a longer contract than just, just the one year, he didn't did, he? he did, uh, yeah, and he's not he there did. anymore. So if it, if it works for them, mm-hmm. they're quite happy to get rid of someone. Yeah. But if it works the other way, they, you know, they're complaining about it. I don't think, personally, I think I know the way that these things work. I don't think. Liverpool did anything wrong. They want the player. He wants to go. As far as I understand it, they weren't the only club that spoke to him. Sure. And you know, eventually he's going to he's going to follow he's going to follow that well-trodden route up from Southampton to Liverpool, isn't it? What, yeah. what Liverpool did wrong is 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 let it out that they knew he wanted to go there. If that hadn't happened, you they wouldn't have, they wouldn't quite possibly yeah. there wouldn't have been the, the tapping up um, uh, accusations. Yeah. There wouldn't have been the bump up of his price, which Southampton will insist on because they're annoyed at what happened before. So that's that's possibly the only mistake they've made. I think we do expect a lot of footballers, and we almost put a different set of morals and values on them in terms, in comparison to sort of the average punter in yeah. the street. I appreciate footballers have have uh, very different lives, shall we say, to, to to Mr. Joe Bloggs, the average football supporter. But you know, Virgil Van Dijk, he's not grown up at Southampton. He's not been at the club since he was eight years old. I mean, this, I, it, it, I, I sort of agree with you, Sam. That this idea that he's going to have this fierce loyalty towards the club—he's not—he's not walking out on them. You know, they are going to get an enormous fee for him. Um, and they'll I be think, all right. They'll still yeah, be exactly, able to pay their I mean? players like, at the end. Of the don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I don't—I don't think he, as as you say, he has no reason to be loyal to them. But I can just understand why people might not be that happy with him signing a six-year contract and then within twelve months, yeah, basically down in tools. I, I just like I say that six-year contract effectively is a guarantee as yeah. a safety net making sure that they can get a huge transfer fee for him as opposed to for example 
Arsenal running the risk of Alexis, Alexis Sanchez so, running yeah. down his contract and he, he might tittle off next well, summer Wenger said that this is an ideal situation as well, <laughs> isn't he? which I, uh, is one of the more I admire of the bluster, but Monsieur Wenger has said that is one of the more he, baffling things he, he openly says I occasionally say things that are just not true just to, yeah. just to, just to distract people from, mm. from, from what's really going on and, and this looks like a, a prime case of that doesn't it because there's no doubt that you're basically writing off an asset that is, who is worth 60 to 70 million quid in the normal marketplace. I mean, this guy is arguably their best player or was their best player last year, mm. but he wants to leave. Mm. Is he going to? There is a turning point, isn't there, I think, with a lot of Arsenal fans. I mean, obviously, from the online side, we're always monitoring what you know supporters of different teams are saying. And you can sense this sort of sea change in the way Arsenal supporters are looking at this. I think in May it was, do whatever the hell you have to do, mm. keep hold of Sanchez. And you can just see it turning now. You know what? If he doesn't want to be here, maybe it's time to let go. And yeah. you can see it. I, I, don't, I don't think there would be the outpouring of outrage. Not that you know Arsenal fans aren't all you know, cool, calm and composed and rational when it comes to their own team. But I think when the uh, when the time comes that Sanchez does leave, I don't think there'll be there'll be the rage that people maybe anticipate. I don't think Arsenal fans will be very happy if Alexis Sanchez leaves and pitches up at Manchester City and knocks Granted. in goals that might deny Arsenal the title or a top Granted. four places. So I was thinking more if he, abroad, if he went to, yeah, if he went to Paris Saint Germain or yeah. Bayern Munich or Barcelona or something like that, um, then I'd understand it. But uh, I think one thing that after the Robin van Persie experience, mm. one thing Arsenal fans cannot stomach is the thought of one of their star players going to a, a direct rival and the direct rival prospering as a result. But this is a problem of their own making. They have allowed them to get into a situation, Ozil, Oxlade-Chamberlain and Alexis Sanchez, yeah. where mm-hmm. they've got a year left on their contract. These are big-name players that other people are definitely going to want. Repeatedly, and also, that is... that that's not the first time, as you say, it's not the first yeah. time it's happened. And also, this is a problem of their own making in that they are not in the Champions League. They are not competing for the top honours in the game. And that is not a new thing. It is baffling how they, they've kept allowing it to happen um, historically. What you got, you've got in the past 10, 12 years, the number of players that have got into that situation that last year in a contract and then left is, you know, how many times does it need to happen for you to learn? Well, it's Groundhog Day at Arsenal, isn't it? I mean, it happens on the pitch, it happens in the league table, it happens in the boardroom, it happens in the dugout, it happens in contract negotiations, the same things over and over again. And at some point, it's going to have to change. If they want to get back up to, you know, to the top table, they're, they're really going to have to, you know, make a, make a change at some stage. I think if Arsenal are going to finish top four this season, they need, they need Sanchez to be there and firing all cylinders because... There's no guarantee that Lacazette is going to hit the ground running and is going to bang in 25 goals and be an instant hit. He, he might need a period of adjustment. But the, the only thing they've got in their favour is it's a World Cup year. And if they turn around and say to him, well, we're not selling you and we are going to keep you to your contract, they're going to lose a lot of money. But at some stage, he's going to have to start playing because he's going to want to be fit for the World Cup, right? See, I, I wondered that. I had this conversation with, with, with somebody last week. And the thing with Sanchez is... He's not playing to get into that chilly team. He'll get in it. The only the only thing he will have to be is fit. It's as you fit. Say. It's got to be fit. Yes, but I think even Sanchez, he was on one uh, leg. He played for Chile. At the I, I think yeah. San, he, he, what, he, what he would have to do. Sorry, what he wouldn't have to do if he stays at Arsenal is he wouldn't have to give his all because in terms of the World Cup mm. because he'll get in that chilly squad. Well, then in which case you have to sell him. Yes, I think so. If you, if, I mean, he wants to go as you said, um, and I think it will get towards the end of the window where you. Everybody just realises that the best thing to do is just 
just let it go. How long is it before he posts a picture uh, from Manchester on Instagram with it raining in the background? So I don't like it here. I want to go. <laughs> I want to go somewhere. My with dogs. My dogs, dogs don't like it here. <laughs> with the dogs. It's too cold for my dogs. Well, the Arsenal fans did try, didn't they? With the banner, the, the tribute to Atom. Is it Atom and Humber? I think I'm the, the sure. dog's name. Crikey! You spent far too much time looking at those dogs. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he loves them. He, he really keep does. Keep the dogs happy. You keep Alexis happy. Feed the dogs, and Alexis will score goals. Um, we started off with a little touch on Philippe Coutinho, and of course, this saga may end up running on a little bit longer than uh, the Liverpool fans would hope. Read my lips, Jurgen Klopp said yesterday in the press conference for the Audi Cup. He is not for sale. Um, a lot of people have used that line before, and it wasn't true. Is it true this time? He might not be for sale, but again, you've got a, a situation where players have so much power these days. And if he, you know, if he decides he wants to go to Barcelona and doesn't want to give his all for Liverpool, and the money on the table is too good to turn down, he might not be for sale. Is he's not the actively same be trying to Sanchez, though, is he? I mean, you're not going to see him posting a picture on Instagram. No, no. I mean, they're all they're all different, but but also they're they're all footballers who will have an opportunity to maybe get a move that they may only have once. Mm. You know, it may be a once in a lifetime chance. Go this year, or your chance to go to Barcelona goes. The key will be, I don't think Coutinho will go in this window, but the key will be whether Klopp has got oven-ready replacement lined up who's 100% sure to come running at the drop of the hat if Coutinho is sold. Um, I don't know, I think West Ham would tell him to take a running jump if he were asked after Lanzini. There's talk of the, this boy at um, Dortmund, isn't there, as a potential replacement. Um, but I think the key will be whether Klopp has got an oven-ready replacement lined up who can bring in like that because if he hasn't, there's no way Coutinho will be allowed to leave because that would just leave Liverpool completely hamstrung Jamie Carragher has said that he thinks Coutinho will leave but uh, to your point Mike he said he thinks it'll be next summer and I yeah, think that yes. does make a lot more sense I've, if Neymar does go then perhaps that changes the dynamic somewhat historically but, Liverpool have got a record uh, uh, I mean recently with Luis Suarez yeah, Brendan, Brendan Rodgers managed to persuade Suarez to stay for one more yeah, give, give us one, one more year, year give me yeah. one more year and take us where we want to go uh, and they came that close to the title didn't they but it was um, but uh, I suspect that's the way it will pan out. Yeah, I'm not yeah. convinced that this idea that you give him the armband in a pre-season friendly and suddenly his interest in Barcelona disappears. I mean, it's a lovely idea, but you're our skipper now. You, you'll want to stay forever, right? I think it's a lovely thought, but I'm not quite sure it works out in practice. Uh, I hear he loves the area of Liverpool, though, and is really invested, sort of like in the in the sort of culture of the city, and he goes out in the city a lot, and he's visible in the town. So, I, I mean, I think he he has sort of embedded himself into the the Liverpool way of doing things and that's one of the reasons why the fans love him so much I mean whether or not that's enough again to sort of pull him into the, the city rather than going to Barcelona I don't know but might stop things turning ugly though might stop him maybe yes. taking things too far and right. to leave and, and you yeah. talk about getting him to stay that extra year he's not going to do be... a Virgil van Dijk is yeah. he I, I, think, I think the key for Coutinho is to whenever he leaves whenever it may be Make sure you do it on good terms. Yeah. Make sure you that you, to come back. Make, make yeah. sure that you go with the fans' blessing because, as you say, two or three years' time, he might come back. And Luis Suarez is a great example because yeah. you know he is a, he is an absolute god at Liverpool still, yeah, yeah. even though he left because he did it in the right way. Yeah, yeah Rushy went away and came back again, didn't he? I mean, yeah. it has happened before. Um, just a final question about your role over the course of the next month: How hot are your phones, and do you actually <laughs> enjoy it? Because this, I mean. Because constantly, every five seconds, the phone's vibrating, something's happening. 
does, does it irritate you? Do you think oh, this is rubbish? This is rubbish. How many how many phone calls do you get, and in, in, in what's the ratio? One out of ten is useful I to was, you. I was just trying to yeah, I was just, <laughs> I was just trying to think the amount of times you spend ages on the phone, you put the phone on, you go right. So what have I got from that? And it's, and it's nothing. Um, you, you you love it when the phone goes off because you pick up the phone and you think you don't know what you're about to be told. Mm. Um, it's when you put it down and, and there's nothing come of it and you, people go, oh yeah, it's really quiet. I just find you for a chat, see what you knew is, mm. you know. Cheers. Can, yeah, exactly. It's not really the kind of business I'm in, but thanks. Can, can, be, can be very frustrating and it does seem like it's quite quite generally just from people you speak to at the moment, but, you know, it's bound to and has to pass. For reasons up. best known to mankind, even though the clubs have had the whole summer to get their playing staffs organised, it will all concertina into that last 24, 36 hours before the deadline, before Jim White fastens his, his yellow tie, because that's the, for whatever reason, that's the way it's done, isn't it? We should really get a bit more grown up about doing transfer business, shouldn't we? Yeah, I mean, every window, you, you see you see some of the deals that go through and you just think, one, why didn't you do that before? And why have you paid that much? If you'd have just sorted it out, you've had ages to sort this out. Absolutely. We say every window. I never have no any knows. sympathy with clubs who try and force through a last-minute deal and, and it, they just missed a deadline because the paperwork's not out. Tottenham tried to sign... Charlie Adam once didn't they and, and the deal fell through because the paperwork went sort of an hour over the deadline and, and the Premier League wouldn't sanction it and I just think what if you wanted Charlie Adam he's been he's been there in his bright orange shirt at Blackpool for the last whatever years you had the whole summer to go out and get him so I, I've no sympathy with clubs who miss the boat because they leave it to the last minute if you want to get your business done do it now uh, well, I'm sure there'll be a lot more rumour a lot more discussion and a lot more stories between now and the 1st of September thank you very much uh, for your company appreciate it uh, that's it from us uh, to Richard to Adrian and to Mike uh, I think I'm going to go off and apply for the Hearts job I think uh, the Mirror Podcast will be back next week. Ook bewust bezig zijn met je mobiel? Dat kan al voor 11 euro per maand met mijn sim only. Nu met 100 minuten of sms'jes en 2500 MB 4G internet. Kijk op ben.nl.